Welcome back to Drew Kama Radio. Thank you for joining us. Thrilled as always to be joined tonight by Roz. Roz, how are you, brother? Doing very good. I hope you're doing well yourself. Thank you. I am. Thank you. And tonight we are going to begin what is a few episode mailbag portion. We're going to answer questions. We've gotten a few hundred, so we've kind of sorted through them, looked for similarities, and we're going to go through and try to answer those the best over the next two or three weeks that we can before we uh, launch into a new series. A lot of really good stuff, so thank you everybody who contributed. But a lot of these, I would imagine, Roz, you you spend a lot of time uh, speaking with people. I would imagine that a lot of these that you looked at are things you hear about daily. Yes? Yeah. I mean, most of the time, they're usually the same kinds of questions over and over again, and they just get phrased differently or people, um, they they put them in their own words and then I can always extract the main point underneath it. But I hear it again and again, typically. It's usually always the same kinds of issues. Yeah. So the one we're going to start with tonight was an interesting one because we both talked about the fact that this might eat up this entire episode, (laughs) this one question, and it's a big one, but I do think that it's really important. And so what happens when you are in a relationship where you have combating energies, be it sexually, whatever it is, right? Where, where there is an energetic disconnect. Both people are making progress. Maybe only one person is on the path. You know, you can expand on all those, but there is a disconnect in energies or you have combating energies. Yeah, so most of the time I deal with relationships especially people who are on the path either together, like you said, or one person will be on the path and their partner will not be on the path. And most of the time when somebody asks me about their relationships, obviously I I really don't want to get involved into that aspect because I believe that there should be some privacy between two people in their relationship and it's not really my place. So I like to forewarn them and say, you know, I really don't want to go there because it's not my place. But if you want me to, and if both people are wanting me to help them, I'd be more than happy to discuss it. Sometimes an outside mediator is a great way to look at something. But with that said, I always tell people I'm going to be extremely honest. And sometimes you're going to hear things that you probably don't want to hear. And in most cases, I end up telling people that they should be separate on the path and not be together because being with someone on the path, even if you're both on the path, is extremely challenging. So I'm going to disclaimer the next sentences uh, with saying that it's very difficult, extremely challenging because when you're on the path, you're already trying to change, understand yourself better, and you're digging up all the sediment that lies on the floor of your ocean of lifetimes of, of junk that's going to rise up. That's the whole point of it is to get it out of there and become lighter by relieving yourself of all the dense materials, all the dense energies emotionally, mentally, and physically that have been embedded in your body or bodies. And so while that process is going on, you're going to be vibrating, for lack of a better word, okay, not to get woo-woo, but you're going to be vibrating differently, probably most of the time than your partner is. Now, with that said, in order to be in a relationship and be on the path, you're going to have to be extra strong because you're going to have to realize that not only will I be going through my own struggles and my own rhythms, but that the flavor of the things that I have in my life are going to change a lot. And the flavor of my partner is going to change a lot. And we're not always going to see eye to eye. And because of that, I'm going to have to be willing to, you know, sort of shift and move and dodge and weave and try to do my best to also help and make my partner happier and healthier in that regard. Now, my end point here before I let you get in, sexuality now is a different issue. 
Now it goes into a different kind of boundary area because sexuality, see, if it's just about me getting along with you, then that's one thing. Okay, so I can work with that. I can try to make that work. Okay, I can smile when I think you're being a jerk or I can laugh at your jokes I don't think are funny. I can try my best to make you feel better, even though I might not be feeling great myself. And that may be work for me at certain points of the path and maybe a struggle. But I can do those things. When it comes to sex, that's different. Now we're talking about intimacy. And the moment you talk about intimacy, the kind of energy balance and equanimity two people have to have together in order to have a sexual relationship that's really profound is extremely close. They have to be in very close proximity. In other words, if one person's ringing on an A in terms of a key and the other's at a D, you got a problem. That's not going to make well for a sexual relationship. And because you're not going to be ringing the same vibrations most of the time, sexuality is going to be the first and probably hardest hit place in a relationship. So when you are taking stock of that and realizing that because it's going to come up, become an issue, right? And then that is one of those issues that just compounds. And the further that you delve in, the more that it kind of stands out like a sore thumb. So clearly it, it can work because you have dealt with lots of couples here, right? And we've heard stories of them coming back. So I guess my question is, what ends up happening then? Where does the shift come or where is there a change or what happens where it becomes workable, solvable? So in one regard, there's a portion of the path where sexual energy gets put into a certain kind of state. It gets frantic and it can go frantic in two directions. It can go frantic in a really expressive way when Shakti gets to a certain place in the body, especially the lower chakra, Swadhisthana, and the sacral area, and the energy starts to go crazy. And it can go crazy through needing to express because she cannot go and reverse and backflow through the channels upward where she wants to get to higher chakras. Instead, it gets held by the restrictions in the lower body and it wants to express and explode outward, right? So we have that issue of having the neediness to express. And then there is the other radical way it can go, which is to become massively dormant and become very active in a totally opposite direction. And so there is either sexual need or there's sexual repression. And that happens in every chakra. It can go either direction. That rhythm can go left or right in every chakra as it's being opened or as higher levels of consciousness are being attained, energy starts to flow in a different way. Now, inevitably, we want the energy to flow from the lower floor of the body straight through the channel up and down and sort of connecting in this perfect circle. And there is no you, per se, getting caught up or filtering that energy and the energies are flowing profoundly. Okay, this is one state. But now this state is a very clear state. This state is where energy is running succinctly. It's running at high vitality. It's running at high volume and it's expressing itself in a very profound way. Prior to this happening, there is congestion, there is restrictions, there are not, so the energy cannot flow very fluidly. And if it doesn't flow fluidly, it bunches in kind of like a long tube that has a bunch of rocks or sediment in it. You can't get water to really flow through it. And because of this, you end up with pressures. 
And where those pressures are building up in a particular person is where they're going to find the difficulty in expression. So you may have somebody that has creativity issues, either they're profoundly creative or they're not creative at all. You may have somebody that has ambition issues, like in Manaporica, where there's profoundly ambitious to a radical degree, a frantic degree, or they're not ambitious at all. They're just sort of apathetic to everything. You can find in the sacral, usually where Shakti resides and stirs, that it's either frantic sexual activity or none. It's repressed sexual activity. I don't want anything to do with it. So this is especially the case with someone that has a very low level of Shakti running, and it's really not moving very well, not moving anywhere. And you can find somebody that doesn't have a lot of energy in that regard. So all of these different, and I'm just naming a few kinds of instances here. And all of these instances, when you put two people together, are going to very rarely be in sync together during these parts of the path. Now, you ask me, when does this change? There is a portion in the three lower areas of the body in the lower brain, the gut brain, there's a portion where energy starts to run past those three lower points in the body and up into the heart and up into Vishuddha in the throat. And when it moves past that second knot area, that second restriction into the emotional kind of body, then you get a completely different kind of person. Once that energy runs through, there aren't any issues in the lower worldly chakras. And because of that, there's a free flow. You can have sex or not have sex. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't have to happen. There's no pressure there. There's just flowing beautifully. You can be ambitious. You cannot be ambitious. You can have full will. You can have no will. You can sort of have security and, and work in the world. You cannot work in the world. You sort of have the freedom at that point to just kind of whatever it is, it is. But prior to that happening, that freedom of that expression of light, that can get bound and bunched. And that's where a lot of the work is done in that lower gut, that lower area, pelvic floor all the way through underneath the heart. That's where a lot of the initial work with kundalini happens. And because of that, depending on where she's stirring up, they have all kinds of issues that need to come up and get expressed. How long does it take? It depends on the person. We're talking about lifetimes of sediment, lifetimes of karmic seeds that are sort of stored. Now, remember, last thing I'll say, then Adam, jump in. Every single time we repress something, an event, either macrocosmically out in the world, something that's happening to us, or at least that's what we perceive, or some internal events, some energy that's happening inside that we don't want to deal with. The moment we say no and push away or we fight it, I don't want to have this thought, we create that karmic seed. We create that issue. Now, what happens when we burn that away is that they express themselves. And depending on how many seeds, for lack of a better word, impressions that we have inside is the length of time it will take for us to clear them away so that the personality, the identity is washed to a place where it's clean and clear and then at peace. So two questions off of that. The first one yeah. would be when you're saying Every time we have that visceral negative reaction, that push away, is that counterproductive? Is there something that a practitioner could do to advance further there? We talked about the Brussels sprout example off air. As opposed to saying, no, I hate Brussels sprouts, could, could you say, you know what, I'm going to eat these Brussels sprouts? Or is that, would that not help? It's not ever really an outside action that determines let me put it this way. By the time it becomes an outside action, it's already way into the branch level. In other words, the root is where we want to always see and get to. We want to get to the root problem. And by the time we're dealing with an outside action, like actually eating the Brussels sprouts, we're already way past the root effect of like, why don't I like Brussels sprouts? What's going on with the poor little Brussels sprouts, right? I mean, they didn't do anything to me. Is it just a taste issue? 
If it is, that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But in the case of sexual energy, again, if we go back to that specific part, there are certain people who have such deep-seated issues with expression. Now, again, this could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be mental, and it could be like a spiritual issue. So there are a lot of complexities to that. Now, for example, somebody could say, I don't like to be touched. I get uncomfortable being touched. My space bothers me. I'm not sure why. It's just the way I am. Another person might say, hey, I don't mind who touches me. Hug me, love me. I don't care, right? So you have two extremes there. One person has a lot of potential issues karmically, and it doesn't mean the other person doesn't. It just means that they're expressing them in a different way. Then emotionally, you could say, hey, you know what? I don't like putting myself out there sexually because it's really emotional for me. And if it's not heavily emotional, I can't do it. And if I'm not attached emotionally to the person I'm with, I can't put myself out and so on and so forth. And that is absolutely okay too. But then again, we're talking about some seeds there, some issues there that haven't been resolved and need to be burned away. They need to be let go of. And then we talk about the mental side. Some people think about sex and just the thoughts of sex turn them away. So you have a mental issue there or the thoughts of sex drive them toward it incessantly or neurotically. And there again, we have the left and right neurosis of the problem. So it's not just one direction. So we have to examine from that level. Is it a mental thing? Is it emotional thing? Is it physical or is it all of those things? Okay. Then we have to see the last question. Is sex important? (laughs) Is it really important? It may very well be that the relationship needs intimacy to be profound and beautiful. And I believe that in a married relationship, two people can love each other incredibly without sex. And you can have two other people who are very similar who couldn't possibly keep their hands off each other. So it's also a very unique thing. So when you talk about sex, you're talking about such a complicated set of factors that it's hard to just say, well, you know, it's this or it's that. You really have to look at the individual people involved and figure out what's going on with each of them and then determine whether sex is important whether sex can be healed between them, whether it should be healed or it needs to be and where it needs to be healed. All those things have to be determined. And I always say, wait for Shakti to come through the metal barrier before you even touch any of that, because let her do her work. She's going to heal anything that needs to be healed in the lower area anyway. So just watch that progression happen. And pretty soon it might not even be an issue. So don't tackle it before it's time. Although now we run into the issue of, well, what do I do until then? Right. So it's a complicated subject for sure. The next thing I was going to come up with was the, you know, what do you do till then? But before you jump into that, I was curious if you could talk a little bit about the differences just between the male and the female energies here, because this obviously is going to be handled differently, you know, male and female practitioners. I'm going to guess anyway. Not always, because I have female practitioners that are very sexual and very more male in their sexuality, which is a bad way to say it, because it, again, it's not determined that way. But we typically see gender-based biases when you say, okay, well, men want sex more than women. I don't find that to be true. I find that women typically now, again, I don't want to get in trouble because I don't want to make any broad statements for sure, because there's no hard and fast rule. But women typically want romance that builds into sex and men want sex that builds into romance. So they kind of come out at the opposite way. Men want to, you know, have sex that makes romance and women want to be first. I want to feel romantic. I want to feel emotional. And then I'll, we'll let that become sexual. Now that's 
generally there are differences obviously again i want to be really clear that there are differences there and i don't want to offend anybody please but put on the spot that's generally how i see it over the last 10 15 years that's what people have typically said to me so just going off of what i've heard now that said adam i'll say one thing about it i have had Many more men complain about sex than women, sure. but I've had just as much women complain about romance <laughs> and I've had then men, right? Men don't come to me and say, you know, she's just not that romantic. Like she just isn't, you know, I don't hear that that much, although I have. And I usually find that the healing happens if the couple really needs to mend those bridges between giving a lot more really, really tuning in. And again, how do we do this until we haven't reached a certain space of letting our identities go a little bit and becoming less self-centered and selfish, but at some point to tune in and really listen and really know the partner, like really know, like in a very, very intimate level, not just trying to do things you think are going to make her give you sex. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really healing emotionally the woman and the woman really healing emotionally the man. And then you have a partnership that's really destined to be really profound and beautiful. But while you're both sort of in your own kind of, well, I want this, I need this, I'm here in this year, but then you're both going to be separated by the bubble of identity. And it's going to be very hard for that to ever really be a profound and beautiful and radical relationship to start with. So that's why I typically say before you reach that second barrier, it's hard to be in a relationship with someone unless you're both willing to be patient. And you're going to get the catch 22 from some listener, right? Is going to email us and say, so in this space, I'm just supposed to do nothing and hope it gets better. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Here is what I tell that practitioner. You're in a relationship and you're married. So I'm assuming, okay, in this particular instance, that relationship should be physical, emotional, mental, and potentially, hopefully spiritual. Okay, those are the reasons why you get married. If it's an agreement based marriage, which almost every marriage is right, unfortunately, but it is, I agree to give you you agree to, you know, we can almost say, say the vows and sign the documents as a legal document, right? It's really just a business arrangement, as I've said before, if that's the case, then it's incumbent on the woman to overcome a little bit of her physical issues to give back to the man. And the man really needs to overcome his other issues, his emotional and mental issues to give back to the woman. That should be happening. The man should be given, the woman should be giving because it's a partnership. And in a partnership, you can't just take things off the table after the fact. You can't just say, well, you know, I decided that I'm just not going to be sexual with you, even though you got into the marriage wanting that and I agreed to it. Now I'm taking it off the table because that's a sleight of hand trick, right? That's not a good business negotiation. Now, in a spiritual relationship, if someone's big enough and we're talking about a profound level of awareness, they may say, hey, right now I get it. and I'm willing to sacrifice that because I love you so much. Do what you got to do. But that's not where most people are. Most people are, wait a minute, we made an agreement. You're breaking it. That's not fair to me. Okay. So I get both sides and I understand both sides. So from a man's position, I would say, listen to the woman, you got to come up with something here and help out. And then I would tell the man, you got to come up with something here and help out. You're going to have to both get back into this marriage and make it work out. That means both of you giving things you might not want to give. Listen, marriage is not about getting everything. Marriage should be about giving everything. And it's not in today's society, unfortunately. And that's why divorce rates pass 50% because we go into it like, oh, I'm going to get the best person. She's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me. I am going to be happy. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be. That's not a marriage. A marriage is giving up what you have so that you can have your partnership and potentially a family. So 
That's why I tell most people, don't start. If you're on the path, do not get into a relationship to start with because it's difficult to get through this. It is really hard. But I would tell the man, you need to get what you're supposed to get in your marriage. And I tell the woman, you need to get what you need to get. And if one of them is getting it and not giving it, they're breaking the contract. And that's a problem. That's not fair and it's not right, at least in that lower marriage pool, right? As we said, this was going to be one big uh, intimacy and energetic piece. So before we get out of here, I'm just your kind of parting thoughts. And then next week, I promise next week we'll handle five plus questions. I know that this was basically just one giant question this week. I'm going to tell you that it's a sensitive issue and I'm not making any broad strokes. Everybody has an individual place there in their relationships. And I take that very seriously. And I know everybody's unique and different. Okay. It's hard to talk about this generally. So I'm sorry if I offended anybody. Please, please, please forgive me for that. But I'm just speaking the truth here. If you're in a marriage and that marriage is contractual based, in other words, it's a business. You have said, I'll give you 50%, you give me 50%. And if that lowers, then I have a case to sue you, which we call divorce and we go to divorce court. If it's more than that, there may be some part of you that says, I'm willing to give some things up because I love you so much and let's make it work out, you know, and maybe that works for you. Maybe it doesn't. But at the end of the day, marriage should always be about absolutely giving yourself to your partner to make sure your partner's happy. And otherwise, what are you doing in the marriage? You shouldn't be in it because that's what it is. It's saying, I'm here to make you happy now. You're here to make me happy. I don't have to worry about anything else other than you smiling, you happy. And that takes a very high level of awareness and spiritual maturation in order to get there. If you're not quite there yet, which is absolutely okay, it might not be the best place for people, especially since you bring up the sexual issue. That's a huge one. I deal with it all the time. So relationships, for me, I always say no. <laughs> they say, hey, should I marry this? Should I? No, I'm in a marriage, should I divorce? <laughs> I'm very bad about that. So that's why I don't want to get involved in that side of this practice, but I'm thrown into it constantly. So my advice is don't get in one until you're at a certain place and you really know you can give up everything because that's what it takes to make a marriage work. It takes to giving up really everything and your pride and your arrogance, your ego and your demands, your needs. Forget about what you're going to get. You're not going to get anything. You're going to want to give it. And only when it's not coerced and you want to give up everything to your partner just because their joy is your joy should you really ever be in a marriage, right? So if you're not in that state, what are you doing? So that's what I would say. Now, I know I'll get a lot of hate mail for that. And I apologize, guys. Again, I'm so sorry. But I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. Please just let me voice that without getting mobbed or anything. <laughs> I hope everybody can understand. And that hate mail can come right to radio at drewkama.com. <laughs> Feel free. I'll sort through it. Radio at drewkama.com. Roz, <laughs> thank you for your time tonight, brother. We always appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on the show all the time. I love it. I love being here with you. You do a great job, Adam. Thanks so much. And so take care, everybody. We will talk to you guys next week. Until then, rate and review on iTunes, please. Have a wonderful week and be well.